Bill, can you present your patient? Well, we're moving up to an 87-year-old at this point. She's a white female who never smoked. She presented with a 20-pound weight loss over the course of two months. She was 140 pounds when she saw her physician. Had back pain for about two months also and hoarseness for about two weeks. The complications here were that she was the principal caregiver for her husband who developed Alzheimer's nine years before. They'd been married over 60 years and they'd made that commitment that they were going to care for each other. So she was the sole provider of his care and in the six months prior to her diagnosis, he became bedridden, required two feedings and she was position changing him every two hours. Finally got to the point where she couldn't provide any additional care and had to make that emotional decision to enter him into a nursing home. The family and she all thought that her condition was really related to all the stress that she'd been through. When they took her to the nursing home, it took two aides and a family member to move him into a bed, and she had been providing all the care by herself in the home setting. So she was a quite strong person, although at this point exhausted. She went to the primary care doctor, chest x-ray was done because of the hoarseness and a right hilar mass was identified. A CT guided biopsy was done showing a moderately differentiated squamous cell carcinoma. CAT scan showed enlarged mediastinal nodes and bone scan showed thoracic and lumbar mets. MRI confirmed those but there was no cord impingement but the pain was due to the metastatic disease. She physically looked very toxic at that point. She looked exhausted. Could you tell how much was from the stress of the husband or how much from the disease? The husband had been placed in a nursing home just about two weeks before I saw her. So I thought it was really the disease at this point that was the principal factor. And what specific symptoms did she have? The hoarseness, the exhaustion where, you know, she was now sleeping 12 hours where, of course, she'd been setting an alarm clock every two hours before that to change her husband's position. And the weight loss. She was continuing to lose weight, was eating poorly. And she had pain? Pain in her back, requiring narcotics. What kind of narcotics and how much? At that point, we were just on Percocet. And what was her state of mind? And she was not well controlled with Percocet. Mentally, she was very alert, very much in control. Again, was desirous of doing what she could do in a reasonable way. She was not willing to consider extensive operations or those kind of things. And did she have any family support? One daughter came with her. Okay. So, Alan, how would you think this through? So, her performance status, if you had to? I would rate her at 70% at this point. So PS of two mm-hmm. at this point. So you have an elderly woman, never smoker, but squamous cell, I mm-hmm. think is what you said, yep. with a PS of two, with back pain, secondary to bony mets. The way I see it, you've got about three different options. And one that actually comes to mind is maybe some palliative radiation therapy to the spot. If there's a particular spot in this situation, if they have a particular spot that actually hurts for which they're taking pain medication, despite the fact there's no cord or anything, and someone who's just not doing very well, I mean, I think a little dose of RT would be very nice. That might also give her a little more time to recover a little bit more. If you get her off the narcotics, she's able to rest more and whatnot, maybe your performance status goes up. And, you know, a couple of weeks of that, we're not losing any time with respect to her systemic disease. So that probably be the first thing that I would think about if there was a spot. If she just says, I ache all over, that's not as helpful. But if there's a place that you could focus, so that'd be number one. Then the second issue is going to be the ultimate systemic treatment. Now, in this one, the never smoker, we're obviously thinking about erlotinib in this setting. The fact that it's a squame throws a curveball, but nonetheless, a never smoker is one of the clinical issues that makes you think about erlotinib in this particular setting. 
PS of two, elderly patient over the age of 80, I'd probably be thinking single agent therapy. Normally, even PS2s, I think about doublet therapy with carboplatin, if at all possible, because the data, at least subset data, seems to suggest that A, you can do it with the two drugs, and B, they actually do better than the single drugs. But in her case, given all of this, it's an issue of single agent chemotherapy versus erlotinib. And given the squam and the never smoker, it might be reasonable to consider fish or mutation analysis. However, personally, I would probably, it's a matter of what order you're going to give things. I don't think it's necessarily one obviates the other, and I probably would discuss a trial of one or the other with her. What single agent? Gemcitabine or venerelbin would probably be the two that would come to mind for me. Same tumor situation, but the patient's 65 and perfectly good health. Oh, well, 65 and perfectly good health, then I think in this setting with metastatic disease, as long as there's no cord compression, then I probably reach for systemic therapy first. It's a squame, so you would not be adding bevacizumab to the mix. But I would be looking at, we actually have the mandatory looking for clinical trial at this particular point, and so a clinical trial. Outside of a clinical trial, this would be a patient where I would consider doublet chemotherapy and consider maintenance or lotinib based on the results from the subset analysis, if you will, from the tribute trial that suggested that adding erlotinib in that setting, they did much better in terms of their median survival, more than two times better. Which doublet? You could do paclitaxel. I think you could throw any doublet with platinum or cisplatin, throw it in a hat and pick one out. I would lean towards cisplatin in the other patient that we described, 60-year-old, otherwise fit. Again, my bias... With metastatic sure. disease. I think it's tolerated a lot better than we think in other folks who are doing very well. And so I think a cisplatin-based regimen would be fine. My bias, I had a lot of experience with gemcitabine in my earlier days. And so I tend to use cisplatin, gemcitabine. And there's some meta-analysis data that supports that as well. Same question to add this patient as she's presenting right now and same tumor situation but age 60, 65. Yeah, so this is where I think we want to take a step back on this patient and really assess the situation. I mean, she's literally had an extremely difficult time caring for this person, her loved one, and now even is heartbroken to see him go to a nursing home and she feels like she's failed in this situation, that she couldn't do it herself, and everyone around her is saying, no, no, you did more than enough and went beyond the call of duty. I would probably do an acronym of RT, TLC, and CT. That's the way I would go. And the first thing I would do is sit her down and really work on getting rid of the pain aspect with radiation. If I saw this patient, I would send this patient to our service called Symptom Control and Palliative Care. They're a cancer medicine service. They deal with not just hospice. They deal with anyone getting symptoms related to chemotherapy or to their disease. And if you don't have that service, this is where you've got to focus. Any therapy we start this woman on, she's condemned to fail with right now. Why do we know that? Because she's losing weight at an alarming rate. As she continues, she will continue to lose weight. Chemo, last time I checked, does not improve your appetite situation very much. So... I would take a step back. I would say, look, these are the only things you can control. You can control your nutrition and you can control your activity. Now, the pain is going to limit your activity and nutrition, so we're going to go after that first. So radiation, pain control. 
Second would be is you got to eat. And, you know, cardiovascular disease hadn't killed her yet. I doubt it's going to kill her anytime soon. So I tell these people to dip anything they eat in Crisco and then just go. So we need pounds here and we need calories. And the family, you'll ask them, so how are you eating? I'm eating okay. But then all the family members are all going like this. No, she's not. No, she's right. not. So it's the tea and toast diet in this age. That's group. right. So you got to go there. I think once you get the pain control, you can go ahead and even start Zometa or Zolendritic Acid on her because she has her bone mets. And then see her back in four weeks and see how it is. Now, granted, we've got a ticking time bomb with lung cancer in here, but like I said, I'm just not confident that she's going to tolerate much at all. So she comes back in four weeks, she's starting to gain weight, starting to feel better, then what? So now I think the options are open, and you think about systemic therapy versus something like Tarceva. Now, did her husband smoke? I believe he did. Yeah, so she's exposed to smoke, in my opinion, and so I might go with she has a squamous? Yeah, plus she has a squamous, too. I don't I'm know. saying, why do you think, just because her husband smoked? I don't know if we know feeling? that one necessarily dictates okay. the other. I know we traditionally say that squamouses may be from smoking, etc., but why is the predominant adenocarcinoma in this country, even though our smoking rates are high? So in this case, then, I would consider systemic therapy. You could consider erlotinib, you could consider Olympta, you could consider venerelbine, or you consider docetaxel. I probably would not go doublet in her just because she's probably still just ramping up and how she's feeling. No one says you can't ever add a doublet later if she's feeling better. But at this point, I would try to take a step back. She may need maybe a spa day or something like that just to get her mind back at ease and make sure her husband's doing well in the nursing home. You know, because this is both mental and physical trauma she's been going through. An Alzheimer's patient, I mean, he's not talking to they're not having conversations at night. I mean, he's, you know, probably lashing out and being angry at her and doesn't know who she is, some stranger in the house. So that's Do you know the anything about their interactions, Bill? In the end, he was basically catatonic, not responding in any meaningful way. That's wow. tragic to see that happen. What about if the same tumor situation, age 60, 65, good health? I'll play the trial card. We would consider a trial, but most of the trials these days are dealing with Avastin-based patients or TKI-based patients. I think this patient would have qualified for the serafinib trial frontline, so that's what we would have opted for. If not a platinum-based doublet in a 65-year-old, you have every option available. I still probably would have gone with carboplatin, and then your choices are docetaxel, pemetrexid, gemcitabine, and paclitaxel. Can you follow up, Bill? Went ahead with radiation to the painful areas and her narcotic needs decreased. We did start her on Tarceva at 100 milligram per day dose. Her weight stabilized. I've seen her back now 10 weeks into the program and her performance status appears to be improving a little. We're going to do some CAT scans in a couple weeks and see if there's any change in the lung mass. How's she doing on the erlotinib in terms of rash or any other problem? Very little in the way of rash. Just a little bit of acne, like no diarrhea. What about the issue of dose here, Alan? Any reason for 100? Was I was just concerned about performance status, and when I've done the full dose with 150, I've had people have more toxicity with the rash and the diarrhea, and I was just afraid we'd not be able to get nutrition in. Were you thinking to try to push her up if she tolerated things, it? And I was doing radiation to her lumbar spine also in the area where I'm going to be radiating small bowel and stuff. I just didn't want to push too hard. I would consider that if I saw at least stabilization. Alan, any thoughts? I can understand. I probably would have tried the 150 and just gone with it and see what happens because it's, again, most of my experience has been, if they're going to have troubles, it's more rash than the diarrhea. I haven't had too many folks who have, I've had far fewer folks who have had really bad problems with the diarrhea. I understand your concerns about the lumbar. I probably would have just waited until after the radiation therapy before I started it. I didn't catch if you started it with it or afterwards. It was with Yeah, so I would have waited until afterwards, but. Ken? Bill, did you look into the hospice issue in Youngstown? 
Does hospice allow her to take medication for palliation of symptomatology? No, for symptomatology, but not for treating the primary well, one cancer. One can argue, being a hospice yeah, director with Medicare, that the Tarceva is being used for pain palliation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we often forget is that in hospice, our guess that a patient with 90% assurance that a patient will be dead in six to seven months, we are allowed a 10% failure rate. It's like the surgeon with appendicitis. Wow. You don't want somebody who hits 100%. There has to be this chance that you may be wrong, and you can always drop and re-up. But after the radiation therapy, which generally is not covered, mm-hmm. depending on how your hospice area is, the amount of care that a patient of this age gets under the hospice benefit is so much more than visiting health services and with supportive care, spiritual care, nursing visits, social work visits, nutritional service, meals on wheels, the whole shebang. And I'm sure, as you well know, one of the things we need to look at as well is the fact that we may be also proactive in getting hospice to cover more. Mm-hmm. Some hospices are very lucky. I always, when I gave a talk one time down in Good Samaritan in Phoenix, that hospice is directed by Barry Goldwater's, when I gave the talk, by Barry Goldwater's daughter. All right. So the hospice of the desert could use anything because they had so much outside money that you could radiate the patient, give chemotherapy, whole brain RT. didn't make a difference in order for palliation. I'm curious, Ken, you heard her numbers, so to speak, right. her age, her medical condition. You heard everything. In your opinion, would she, quote, qualify for hospice, i.e. have a six-month survival? Yeah. My guess is that she will have less than a six- to seven-month survival. The biggest number one issue is the weight loss. When you lose that much weight that quickly, that is a terrible prognostic sign. And with starting out performance status of two, there is no doubt in my mind that she's not going to do well. And if she lived nine months or 12, you will not get into any trouble, and the benefit will work. Are there data, predictors, algorithms to say, you know, when people with lung cancer or cancer in general will die, whether they'll fit? I mean, it seems kind of strange, but I guess practical. Or is it just that people like you get the experience to be able to assess this? You get the experience, that's the art, but also weight loss has been pretty well shown. A lot of it comes out of the World War II experience and the Dutch experience with the German occupation, with the Sussers who were at Columbia University in dealing with the Nazi and with pregnant women and then the extended weight loss that occurred in the general population, not the Jewish population. So even in the early 50s, it was described, Nernst Widner, before he went into lung cancer and prevention, did a lot of work on the problems of cachexia. Well, there's also specific data with lung cancer. I mean, right. we had a paper where we went back and looked at prognostic factors and how people did. I mean, you've got you know, bone and liver do less well than those who have lung metastases only, for example. Weight loss is a huge factor. So, Performance I mean, you, status. Just sort of hearing this story, though, because I would not have thought that this woman would have a mortality within six months. But would you? At the very moment that you met her, you could have easily thought that less than six months is likely, particularly if this was someone that you were not going to treat systemically. You know, the untreated patients are clearly less than six months historically. And with all of her negative points that add up, again, the bone mats, the performance status, the rapid weight loss. And again, the important thing is not so much the total poundage, it's the percent. So she had lost well over 10% of her weight in I don't know what time period. So that would have been fine. I have to admit that I don't know if I would have immediately thought of hospice when I was initiating therapy, although we would have had that discussion. I think it's a great point. And we've been lucky enough, at least in the Nashville area, that times that we've tried to have hospice pay for a lot, they have. But if it's someone that, again, I had in the back of my mind possibly thinking with chemotherapy and whatnot, I probably would not have thought about it at that particular time. I would have introduced the concept, but would have felt that if they're you know well enough that I'm going to think about systemic therapy, I probably would have held off a little bit. But if after the RT 
MRT and TLC and the day at the spa. So does MD Anderson cover that or is that a, <laughs> out of pocket? It is a spa, actually. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, over yeah. at the Pink Palace. So if after that one-month follow-up visit, you know, things had gone downhill, then clearly the hospice you can always for reject. Sure. You can always get off hospice oh, without yeah. any penalty. It's just a way that we have to educate our, also our primary care physicians that you have a supportive care area, a supportive area, but you get a lot more services that are covered and also then saves the patient because this woman, unfortunately, is probably on a fixed income, probably, you know, from her husband because at that age they didn't work that much. And so it also covers a lot of stuff. It covers all medications. The only thing it doesn't cover is doctor visits. I just want to say, I just think with the art of oncology, I think it's difficult when a patient's diagnosed, when you see them at diagnosis, to right. introduce them or refer them to hospice all in the same visit, right. especially if there's something you can do. I think it's not a bad idea to give them a little bit of time to adjust before you right. refer them. Oh, no one's arguing you jump right in, but it's something to think about. And I mean, you're dealing with somebody and coming back in four weeks gives you that two points down the line of the curve to find out what's happening or even two weeks later. The four-week period gives her right. her audition period. If she loses another five to six pounds, right. she knows it. Mm-hmm. She knows if she... I tell patients even, I said, the record that I have for a patient who showed up in a week gained five pounds. Now, I checked his pockets. He didn't have quarters in them or anything like that. He gained five pounds. And he jumped off the bed in the room and started doing sort of these lunges for me. And he's like, I'm ready. And so, you know, he couldn't walk very well the week before. This woman, to me, the way you describe her, she sounds very stubborn, very headstrong, and she's ready to take this on. Her body, though, is not ready. And that's what I think you're trying to help her with. But I think the month, actually, in my mind, and the way I like to utilize is that it helps distinguish what we always talk about is the performance status. Is it bad because of the cancer, or is it bad because of her surrounding issues, whether it be comorbidities or her dreadful psychosocial situation here? And in that one month's time, if it's the cancer, chances are it comes back in a month and she's worse. If it's related to some of those other issues, maybe a little bit of pain and you fix that with the RT and the other issues are comforted a bit better, she's going to look a bit better and off you go. I think that that's so important to take the time. We often particularly you all maybe who are treating you know the liquid tumors and the lymphomas where days may potentially matter lung cancer that's not the case you know for the non-small cell lung cancer we've got the luxury of a couple of weeks here four weeks there as I tell patients if things go downhill in a one month's time or in two weeks time it wouldn't have mattered that we've given you the chemotherapy in that two-week period it doesn't work that way and so you have the luxury of a little bit of time you don't have to rush into things you can be thoughtful I think you did a great job we pulled the faculty yesterday, we didn't say 87-year-old, but we said a patient who has bone pain for metastatic disease who's a non-smoker. The patient asks you, what's the chance that her lotnib is going to relieve this pain? And if I remember correctly, most of the answers were likely or very likely. What would you say to her if she said to you, what's the chance that this tumor is going to regress to some extent and my pain's going to Well, I tell patients that with single-agent therapy, For example, whether it be chemotherapy, that you'd have about a 10 to 15 percent chance of a dramatic response where the tumor shrinks by more than 50 percent. I'm talking about erlotinib in a non-smoker. Well, you know, a non-smoker with squamous cell, I don't know what exactly that means, but if you want to give the best odds, I'd say maybe you've got a 20-25% of a dramatic response, meaning a shrinkage of more than 50%, and symptomatic improvement, but you probably also have another 40-50% to 50% chance of having a somewhat milder response, including symptomatic improvement. And so really, maybe two-thirds to three-fourths chance of seeing something improve, potentially, or stabilization or improvement. 
Ed, what would you say to a patient like this, and what would you say if you also knew that they had an EGFR mutation? I think if they had an EGFR mutation, that's something that obviously erlotinib or an EGFR-based drug would be very encouraging to do. I think their chances of having a response could range. Again, she's squamous, so it's a little bit confusing. That would be very rare. But if she was a typical adeno or mucinous adeno with BAC features, she could have a response up to 50% plus higher. Again, we don't typically do that in all of our patients for mutational testing. And one thing I wanted to add also was that something like Remeron or Effexor or something like that can also help a person like this very much because mentally we know this is a very important aspect when people are going through treatment and diagnosis. So.